Hello and welcome. My name is Roni Firon, and this is The Bigger Picture, where we sit down with experts to hear about their journeys, their insights, and the big ideas that drive them. Stay tuned for today's episode. Today we spoke about the microbiome with Dr. Elran Habil, who is the CEO of Biomica, a biopharmaceutical company that develops innovative microbiome-based therapeutics for various diseases. Their company is composed of an A-team of brilliant scientists from Israel and from around the world. Elran and I spoke about the microbiome at large, what it is, why it's a fascinating new frontier of research, and how we can apply this new knowledge in our own lives to improve our health and longevity. We got to hear about the exciting new interventions that Biomica are developing, as well as other success stories that have been popping up in the field. It's amazing to think that there's an entire ecosystem living within us and that our body and that ecosystem are in constant dialogue and are constantly affecting each other. What's particularly cool about this new discovery is that it gives us a new framework through which we can judge whether something will be beneficial to our health or not. For instance, maybe we eat something that has a lot of vitamins and low calories, so we think it's good for us. But if it messes with our microbiome, we're going to have a problem. So this field is creating an entire shift of how we look at health, disease, and treatments. So without further ado, I hope you guys geek out on this episode as much as I did. Enjoy. Hi, Elran. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Ronnie. It's my pleasure to be here today. So today, we're going to talk about the microbiome. Before we dive into what the microbiome is and all the exciting research that's happening in this field, I'd like to hear how you came to be interested in this field. And at what point did you know that this is an area of research that you wanted to pursue? So um, maybe I'll start with a quick background about myself, and then we can dive about my relationship with the microbiome. Uh, by training, I have a PhD in pharmaceutical sciences, also hold an MBA, majored in finance and financial engineering. In my past, I served as a board member at various Israeli companies, some of them publicly traded, some of them privately held. Later on, I managed a private investment firm in Israel specialized in life sciences that invested in a quite diversified portfolio of companies, ranging from pharmaceuticals, medical devices, and wellness applications. Uh, prior to Biomica, that is the company that we'll talk about today, I was served as a CEO of a publicly traded company in Israel called Therapix Biosciences, which I was uh, in charge of leading a complete turnaround and later, later on to uh, take public on NASDAQ. Um, and after I completed that, those tasks su- successfully, I had to choose if I'm about to relocate to the States or to stay in Israel. Uh, at that point of time, I decided to stay in Israel, and by chance, I met with uh, the CEO of a company, a publicly traded company back then, uh, uh, by the name of Ofer Chaviv. They told me that they have an, a great idea to work on microbiome, but with a different angle, to work with computational tools in order to develop new types of therapeutics. And it sounded very interesting, and I decided to... Uh, do my diligence, and eventually decided to join on board and take the role of CEO of Biomica. And I think that that specific field that is currently emerging that basically enable us to leverage a new uh, therapeutic modality in which we are using a totally new organ in our body, basically to recognize the fact that our body has trillions of microbes that have a significant role in various bodily functions 
could change a lot of the things that we used to think and currently are reevaluating how to treat complex diseases. So that was a very interesting approach. And the fact that we had a computational platform that was very robust in order to um, discover new uh, drug products was making this opportunity even more compelling. Amazing. Amazing. It's an incredible field and it's uh, really a frontier now. So before we get into Biomica, uh, I do still kind of want to linger on, on your personal journey. You've been able to combine science and business in your career. And I wanted to hear a bit about where that came from. I mean, we oftentimes think of research and business as two separate entities. Um, but you've managed to combine both of these in your career, and you clearly have a passion for both. So can you tell us a bit about how you came to understand that about yourself in terms of where your interests lie, and just give us some background on that evolution? So I think that that's true. Usually uh, science and business are not uh, two fields that go together. Most of scientists are usually prefer to avoid business, and businessmen usually try to avoid uh, the science. But someone needs to talk both languages and to be uh, the bridge between the two uh, domains. And I think that for me, it was obvious that that's something that I would like to do. Uh, I was always interested in the science. Uh, that's the reason I had my PhD. But I always loved the up-tempo of the business. Uh, so the rush, the, the, the quick... Uh, uh, decisions that you have to make. Uh, and, and I think that eventually once you have uh, the ability uh, to bridge those two worlds and to be able to translate the business um, targets to the scientists and to try to translate the science to the business people and the business community and the financial community, that's a great advantage. And that's something that I'm trying to do through my career. And I, I have been doing that for several of years. It's quite successfully. And I think that's something that is very valuable because eventually someone needs to be uh, converging uh, the science and, and, and the business aspects in order to try to um, build new companies that will be based on cutting edge technologies. And, and that's something that I think is in need. Right. It's two forces, you know, business and science that really need each other. And that communication is really important. And a lot of times we see uh, very distinct personalities uh, inhabit each of these industries and the communication is lacking. So that's amazing that you've been able to do that. So now let's get into the microbiome. So two things. First, let's start with the definition of the microbiome. What is it and what is it responsible for? And Second, I'd like to hear about the history of this idea of the microbiome. How was it discovered and what were some of the first studies around it? So <clears throat> we are using the term microbiome quite freely in this discussion, but uh, I think that currently uh, most of the people that use the term microbiome are referring to the trillions of microbes living in and on our bodies, basically uh, acting as the other genome of the human body. We have more than 100 times more genetic material from microbes in comparison to human genetic material. So that's just to give you a sense. Uh, I think that it would be also, you know, true to say that approximately two kgs or five pounds of our body is basically microbes. So just imagine uh, those numbers. And those microbes play a critical role in various bodily functions, as I mentioned, ranging from food digestion, production of nutrients, and even production from different uh, and various diseases. In recent years, um, I think that after uh, since the beginning of this century, uh, more and more uh, 
research was done in the field of microbiome and more clinical evidence was accumulated to show that those microbes have a significant role in a variety of illnesses. So what we are trying to do basically in the microbiome space is to address a phenomena called dysbiosis, meaning a state of microbial imbalance. By that, to try to fix this imbalance, to get the body back to what we refer as homostasis, so it's a balance, uh, and by that to provide new therapeutic modalities. And I think that the use of the microbiome as a therapeutic modality actually goes back uh, a long time. Uh, it started with something that we refer as FMT. FMT stands for Fecal Microbiota Transplantation. So basically um, giving stool uh, to patients and this approach is going back a long time, approximately 1,700 years ago to the 4th century in China. Wow. Uh, yeah, a, a researcher, a scientist in China called uh, Ji Hong uh, was the first to use what he refers as uh, yellow soup. Basically, <laughs> yeah, it's not a very uh, nice not image. Not a nice picture, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, basically boiling stools as, as a soup uh, and uh, treating patients suffering from severe diarrhea. And that was, I think, the first uh, recollection that we have on the use of FMT uh, for various uh, therapeutic uh, indications. We know that in uh, World War II, uh, German soldiers used um, uh, camel stools in order to uh, treat uh, soldiers that suffered from uh, dysentery. So again, diarrhea. Uh, it became more standardized and modernized uh, in um, the 60s of the previous century. So 1960, approximately, a physician called Ben Heisman was the first one to use FMT to treat, again, patients suffering from diarrhea. And it's become more and more mainstream uh, once clinical trials were conducted uh, at the beginning of uh, 2000, 2013. We've seen some work being done. And it became actually... Uh, a treatment that was endorsed and recognized by the FDA uh, for several indications. So uh, the use of stool, it's currently a very attractive, uh, I would say, clinical and, and therapeutic approach in very distinct uh, clinical indications, including some inf uh, infectious uh, disease that are resistant to antibiotics. And um, the idea that you can use the material in the stool uh, actually generated the second and third generation of companies that basically understood that, that you can extract the essence from the stool and basically to find the most active components that could be used as therapeutics instead of taking the entire stool that, as I'm, we mentioned in the beginning, is not a very appealing idea. <laughs> yeah, no, it's counterintuitive. Um, and it's amazing to think that in the fourth century, you said, that they were able to to make that connection and to understand that these two things are related. Okay, so we have this field of the microbiome now, and it's super promising and offering a really integrated framework uh, through which to view the human body and how all the different systems within us are connected also. So what are some of the industries that we're seeing microbiome research pop up in today? So there are a number of verticals that you can see the microbiome uh, becoming more and more um, active and, and dominant. Uh, one of them is um, the field of personalized nutrition. So everything we eat basically goes through the gut and we have a lot of microbes in our gut. 
So the question is, what would be the interaction between our food and those microbes? And can you improve your nutrition by recognizing the fact that you have a certain type of microbes in your body? And this is one type that we've seen that was emerged uh, a couple of years ago. The second thing is for um, wellness in general. And um, I think that that's something that we've seen a number of companies working and trying to, again, to understand both from uh, the field of personalized nutrition and even skin care, how you could provide better care of your body to the recognition that you have different types of, uh, of microbes. The third domain or the third uh, vertical that is currently emerging, and I think that is the most active now, both in the field of, um, in the aspects of number of companies and the amount of funds invested, is the pharma aspect. So how can you use those microbes in order to provide patients in need new therapeutics uh, and new drugs that could be based either on the concept of um, drugs for bugs, so how we can eliminate some of those bugs, or bugs as drugs, so how mm-hmm. we can use those microbes as new uh, kind of uh, uh, medicines. And those are basically the verticals that currently exist. And the pharma is by far now uh, much more advanced. And we've seen that there are a lot of activities taking place, many uh, clinical trials that are currently taking place in the U.S. and in Europe for various indications. So this is, I think, the most uh, progressive uh, field. So, okay, I want to dive into that a little bit. We, we talked about pharma and really in this whole field of the microbiome, we're seeing that it's related to a wide variety of diseases that without this framework, we never really would have thought are connected to one another. So can you tell us about a few of these diseases and how how, a few studies basically that have shown that the microbiome is implicated here? Sure. So we mentioned that the pharma is much more advanced and progressed in, in comparison to other fields. But just to give you a sense, um, I think that it's true to say that currently almost every big multinational pharmaceutical company is taking stake in the microbiome space. And it's it's really something that we should be very fascinated by because usually the big pharma are lagging behind the science. And the fact that they were, in part, the first comers into this field was very interesting. And to many, uh, microbiome is considered to be the next generation of cell therapy. We all know cell therapy mm-hmm. for various indications, but the fact that you can use different types of cells, so those are the microbes, for the treatment is a very interesting idea. And the fact that it's backed by big pharma and uh, VCs, very uh, uh, renowned and, and reputable uh, VCs, I think that's something that is very interesting as well. And the field is being uh, actually started. It's, it has been started in, in mainly in indications that are related to the GI gastrointestinal tract, so our gut, because that's the place that you will find most of the microbes. So it referred to mainly inflammatory bowel disease, what we really know as Crohn disease or colitis, and uh, later on to other types of disease uh, that are related to the gut, including uh, IBS. Uh, more common. Uh, We've seen uh, in the beginning of 2018, late 2017, a shift in in the attention that other diseases received and more companies and more research was done in the field of cancer. I would like to discuss this in in more details, but uh, the number of indications that are currently being investigated is huge. So it ranged from the gut through cancer and autoimmune disease 
and could be applicable even to um, depression, Alzheimer, and Parkinson's. So it's very unique that a single, uh, I would say, kind of organ that contains those microbes that are living in our body could affect so many different systems and could address different types of diseases from the head to the skin and our gut. Right. I think it goes to show how everything is connected at the end of the day. And this kind of uh, very separate specialist model that we have in conventional medicine might not give us the whole picture. Okay, so there were a few studies around autism. That's right. So there are a number of, as I mentioned, some CNS, central nervous system uh Indication that I've described, so autism was one of the, 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 the clinical trials that was uh, evaluated through the use of FMT. Uh, one of the things that is currently uh, getting a lot of attention is the cancer, all the field of okay. immune oncology. Recently, we've seen great results coming out, uh, mainly in the States, but one group uh, speci- specifically in Israel from Sheba Medical Center showed that by changing uh, the microbiome profile, uh, you could change the clinical outcome of patients that previously did not respond to immunotherapy that is currently the gold standard for treating cancer patients and to shift them to be full responders. And that's this is a great example. Uh, actually, the first proof of concept that changing the microbiome could change the clinical outcome for cancer patients. And that's in part what we do in Biomica and we'll call, can discuss it in more details later on. But the fact that we've seen so many uh, clinical evidence coming out recently, even in cancer or in clinical trials taking place in the U.S., uh, we've seen in recent, uh, late uh, 2020 in the U.S., some very compelling phase three and phase two clinical trials coming out, showing that by treating uh, patients with microbiome uh, drugs, basically giving them bugs, microbes, you could uh, improve their clinical situation for various indications. So one of them that was very uh, nicely demonstrated was uh, the treatment of one of the infectious diseases that is currently uh, known to be resistant to antibiotics caused by a microbe called uh, Clostridium difficile infection. Right, C. diff. So, C. diff. Uh, that's the nickname. Yeah. And uh, yeah, usually uh, it, be, it was treated for years uh, by FMT. And currently, uh, companies are trying to take uh, the attempt and to see if they could basically modify the FMT to be a much more scalable and uh, druggable product that could be used for the treatment of CDF infection. Okay, so from everything that we've said, there's so much research being done and a lot of really promising findings. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think are some of the barriers today that are blocking people from fully accepting this idea and this framework? So one of the reasons I think that it's still um, not widely accepted, although the the medicinal community is is totally endorsing endorsing, uh, this uh, field, but this is a very young industry. Uh, I mentioned that um, the research started around 2000 and the first companies basically popped out around 2013, 2014. So there is currently no drug that has been approved yet uh, based on microbiome uh, modalities. And that's, I think, in part the reason that we haven't seen a lot of uh, uh, acceptance by some of the people. I think that we'll see very soon the first drug that will be approved. Um, We hope to see in 2020 the first drug that will be approved by the FDA that will be based on microbes. But I think that 
there is still a gap. Um, this scientific approach is, is relatively new. Uh, the industry is relatively young. And the fact, I think, that we have a very strong backers in this industry, including the big pharma, VCs, the uh, medicinal uh, community, and so on, I think that will help this uh, industry to mature and to progress and advance very quickly. And we'll see more and more um, complex, unmet medical needs that will be treated by uh, microbiome drugs. Right, right. And I think as that takes off, just the public's uh, awareness of the microbiome is going to to increase as well. Because, you know, I do hear in some spaces uh, functional medicine doctors, for instance, they're talking about the microbiome and how they're treating all these hosts of the diseases. But you can hear that the protocols are still a bit experimental, right? The, the doctors themselves don't really have a clear protocol yet of of what kind of therapies, what works, what doesn't, right? We're hearing about probiotics and then you're hearing, wait, it's not actually effective and you're not getting any bacteria in the yogurt that you're, you know, trying to eat to improve your microbiome. So so there's a lot of, um, I, I wouldn't say confusion, but still, it's still in its early stages, I guess. And people who like certainty might, might not adopt it uh, right away. I think that's true. I think there is a gap and people should recognize the fact that the probiotics that we can see in our in the GNC stores and so on, it's not the microbiome drugs. It's basically the idea is similar to use microbes, but it's, it's a different level of science uh, and the production and everything is different between the pharma industry and uh, food supplements. And, you know, uh, I think that some people truly believe that probiotics is very, uh, um, say, um, Productive products, uh, and they could help uh, some of the patients. You know, um, most of the people getting antibiotics basically are recommended to take also probiotics. But there are some papers that show that the absorption and the use and, and the effect of probiotics is minimal. So this is something that, again, it's not uh, the same. It was kind of the intro to the microbiome space. When we talk about microbiome-based therapeutics or drugs, will be with a different level and different uh, uh, requirements in order to meet uh, the the need to affect patients that are really in need. Right. Much more precise therapies. Okay. So with that, I'd like us to get a bit into biomica. And you guys basically combine computational biology with microbiome research. And I wanted to know what about your approach makes you guys unique in the space? So Biomica is, is a biopharmaceutical company. It was founded in Israel in 2017. Uh, we are a subsidiary of a publicly traded company called Evagen. And uh, one of the things that we do different is the use of computational power in order to develop our drug products. Biomica is working on three different domains, uh, three therapeutic domains. Uh, the first one is immune oncology. Uh, that is our most advanced program. We have two programs in the GI-related disorders. So we have a program for IBD, so it's the Crohn disease and colitis that I mentioned, and one for IBS. And we have another program uh, for um, infectious disease, actually two programs. One is internal for the CDF that we mentioned, and another one with uh, in collaboration with the Weizmann Institute, with the Nobel Prize laureate Professor Adonat, for the treatment of what we refer as uh, MRSA and VERSA, 
infections. It's very common uh, antibiotic-resistant uh, microbe that uh, we are trying to develop a very selective treatment. And as I mentioned, we're differentiated by the fact that we have the, this unique platform that basically enable us to either selectively uh, choose a specific molecule that could target a pathogenic, a bad microbe, and to kill it without harming the rest of the microbiome. Or the other side of the equation is basically to supplement the patient with beneficial microbes in order to change the course of the disease and basically to provide this patient unique features that will be based on those microbes that could change the course of the disease and to provide him uh, with the, the therapeutic effect that he, he currently needs. Right. And I think just, you know, to stress this point of com computational biology in this sphere where the microbiome is so complex and you and this ecosystem is so variable and there's so many different types of microbes and different levels, right? Different uh, distributions. And with this technology, you're able to analyze that and really, really be precise in the kind of therapies that you're offering. So it's true. I think that all of our work is basically um, taking into account two main elements. The first one is the big data. We need to integrate a lot of data both from the microbiome and from the host, from the person, patient. And we need to basically later on to, in, to analyze it in a very detailed manner and to provide very strong and robust predictions. And for that, we need a very unique AI-based tool. So it's AI meets big data in order to develop new uh, types of uh, therapeutics. And that's something that we do quite successfully. And I think that one of the things that, again, is a bit different is how you are leveraging the, the data that you have, how you could basically find a different angle of how to treat patients using the microbiome information. And one of the things that we decided to do a bit different from other companies is that while most of the companies were working mainly on the analysis of the microbiome based on the types of microbes that are present, so we're, we call it taxonomic analysis, mm -hmm. basically describing the names of those microbes, we understood that it's more important, it's, that that aspect is important, but we wanted to add another layer of, of understanding. And we've done that through uh, what we do uh, or refer as functional analysis. So we're trying to understand what specific activity each microbe contributes into the community. And by that, to uh, connect the types and uh, of strains of microbes that are present and their activity and to connect it eventually to the disease or to the situation that the, the host, the person has. And by understanding the functionality, we have the ability to better distinct and to describe what would be the right or optimal uh, set of microbes that are needed in order to change the course of the disease and to improve the disease and what is missing or lacking in the patient or what is overly expressed. And by that, to try to get back normality, as we said, almost as at the beginning. Right. Okay. So I wanted to kind of dive into a bit about how the different balances in the microbiome, how do they affect our immune system, for instance, right? We, we spoke about uh, cancer and immunotherapy, and we spoke about autoimmune diseases being affected. So what is this dialogue between the microbiome and our immune system, and how does that work? So I think that it's very intuitive to think about the fact that basically microbes know to communicate the best with our immune system. Most of our immune system is based in the gut. So basically those microbes could do one of the two things, either to 
basically live in peace and harmony with our immune system and to what we refer as the good bugs and they are living in our bodies and basically everything is okay. Or the second thing would be to activate the immune system. Usually when we are experiencing kind of infection and pathogenic microbe is getting in, it activates the immune system and basically we are sick or have some kind of immune response. And this interaction is important to understand in order to affect the immune system for other diseases. For example, we referred to um, some of the autoimmune disease, including IBD. In that case, the immune system is overly active. And what one would like to see is how to um, suppress or to attenuate the immune system to be uh, less active, to reduce the amount of inflammation. And that's something that we could do with specific set of uh, functions that exist and in, in certain microbes. So by providing the patient with those microbes, we could basically suppress the activity of the immune system to some extent. Right. Some of those microbes just send a signal to the immune system of it's okay to calm down. Exactly. Chill. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the other side, again, is to activate. And one in, in, what, in some cases, uh, what we would like to see is that the immune system would be better prepared or better active, uh, for example, in cancer. Right. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned is that the gold standard for many types of cancer is immunotherapy. Immunotherapy is basically the idea to leverage and to use the immune system to fight cancer cells. So the immune system attacks the tumors and basically eliminates the cancer. But in order to have the immune system set and prime, you need to get an alert. And some of the microbes know how to do that. And those ideas were... Very intuitive, but it was also validated in numerous uh, scientific publications in peer-reviewed journals. And one of the things that we've seen in our work was that, uh, for example, when we analyzed uh, data coming from patients, uh, some of them has had lung cancer, other with kidney cancer and so on. Some of them were responding to immunotherapy, but others did not respond to immunotherapy. And we tried to understand why there's this difference uh, between the responders and non-responders. And when we looked deeper into the uh, microbiome profile, we noticed that in the responders, there are certain, uh, say, features, microbial features, activities that are enriched. And in, in the non-responders, they are suppressed and missing. So the idea was if we could provide the non-responders those features, those microbial activities that could activate the immune system better, we could show and demonstrate that the anti-tumor activity using immunotherapy would be improved. And that was the notion for uh, one of our dry candidates, BMC-128, that was developed. And later on, we have dev- demonstrated both in in vitro assays, so in, in biochemical assays, and after that, uh, in in vivo assays, so in animal studies, that the notion that using certain types of microbes that could provide certain activities is being validated, and we were able to show and to improve dramatically the effect of immunotherapy by combining it with uh, microbiome-based drugs. So basically different balances in the microbiome allowed some of the patients to respond to immunotherapy and others didn't respond. And it's crazy to think that this ecosystem would have that effect. The idea, again, to, to, to try to modulate the immune system was something that we've been known and manipulating for years in the, in the pharma industry. Right. Uh, we know that there are certain types of uh, um, cancer treatments that are using the immune system and basically trying to activate the immune system in various ways. 
So the idea to use microbiome as one of the vectors to affect uh, the immune system is something that is very intuitive, but also scientifically validated. And as I mentioned, the fact that we've seen very interesting uh, proof of concept coming from various groups, independent groups. I mentioned one in Israel. There are uh, other groups in, in the U.S., uh, one of them is uh, an NIH group uh, backed uh, with the uh, University of Pittsburgh uh, that showed, again, that by mo- manipulating and modulating the microbiome, you could get a different clinical outcome treating cancer patients that previously did not respond to immunotherapy. So the idea is, is, is solid, and the recent results makes it even more compelling. There's Okay, so we're speaking about these different balances in the microbiome, and I wanted to ask, There's first of all, there's all sorts of external influences that can affect our microbiome, and also I understand that our genetics can also influence the microbiome in some regard. So can you tell us a bit about these two channels and how they affect our, our balance? So there is a close... In- interactions between the host and the microbiome. More than that, I think it would be true to say that there are microbe-microbe interaction and microbe-microbe host. So that's the person interaction. So the genetics of the human being is important to establish this interaction with the microbiome. So that would be first thing. Um, Second thing is is basically the external uh, factors that affect our our everyday uh, well-being. And it includes it includes the nutrition. <clears throat> it includes um, stress, sleep, and so on. Um, and basically, um, the changes in the microbiome could be very much correlated with the changes that the person goes through uh, through the course of life. Um, it was shown in in one study that you could take twins, basically having them uh, with genetic material that is basically the same, but one of them will live. For example, in Israel, the other one would be living in the States. But since they have been living in different surroundings, their microbiome will be different. So the external factors are very important. The nutrition could affect, the life cycle affect the the profile of the microbiome. But yes, still we've seen a significant uh, amount of evidence that the genetic uh, of the human being has an important role as well. And... We we spoke about this a bit earlier about just for example, right? How the genes, different people have different genes, and it can affect things as small as the pH level in our mouth, which explains why some people get cavities and why some people don't. So we have this understanding that the genes affect our microbiome, but also there's all sorts of as you said, environmental influences. And there's one very specific one that has been shown to be implicated in autoimmune disorders. So, yeah, as I mentioned, the microbiome refers to those microbes living in and on our bodies. And and you mentioned, for example, the oral cavity in which we have a lot of microbes living uh, as well. Another place that we could refer as, as a significant part that has various types of, of microbes is, is basically the vaginal area. And it was shown, for example, that uh, babies that were delivered uh, with C-section that basically did not were that weren't delivered through uh, vaginal delivery are basically lacking some of the interaction with the microbiome of the mother, and 
there is a tendency to believe that those uh, babies will have a, a higher likelihood to develop autoimmune disease in the future because of this lack of, uh, I would say, interaction with microbes and basically exposing those babies to uh, new types of microbes. So that's something that we've seen. And the fact that the microbes could affect the people or the person basically from birth to death, that's something that is very interesting because the effect is long-term and it could affect our life being in, in various manners. Incredible, incredible. It's basically like the the different microbes we're exposed to in the first second that we're born, basically they dictate the on and off switch that we give our, like the on and off signals that we give our immune system and how, how well that operates. I think that's it's very similar to when you have a baby and you're trying to uh, teach him all kind of things and the first couple of months and years are crucially important in order to have to design and mold the baby in the, in the right manner, I would say. But so the interactions that the immune system experienced from birth uh, and the fact that the baby was exposed to microbes sets the micro uh, the immune system to a different level. And that's something that was also uh, shown in various studies. So I think that, yeah, by far the interaction with um, microbes basically uh, evolves the immune system. We know that, for example, people that live in less developed countries, that the hygiene is, uh, is, is not so developed, uh, will have an, an increase or richness of, uh, of microbiome. So the diversity will be higher. Uh, so it's not necessarily good to, um, you know, rub alcohol gel on uh, your hands. Absolutely. So the clean, clean hygiene uh, theory is something that, yeah, uh, it, it's uh, disputable. Uh, but uh, we know that uh, if you have uh, more kind of strict standards of living, uh, very clean, very sterile, um, we've seen more cases of allergies in the past. Uh, wow. And so on. So I think, yeah, uh, eventually there is a constant uh, interactions that yeah. we experience from the external surrounding and our microbiome that is being affected by the external surrounding. I, I read somewhere that um, kids who have dogs and who play outside in the dirt have healthier uh, balances in their microbiome. Yeah, I think their parents will be less happy because <laughs> the house will be quite messy. Mess. But, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that it could potentially have them uh, maybe with better health in the future. Incredible, incredible. So it's it, it's counterintuitive to our, um, you know, more kind of healthy, um, sterile Yeah, I would, uh, would not approach. recognize, to, you know, to push your kids into the mud just to have them, you know, <laughs> um, exposed to more microbes. But I think that everything should be uh, done in a certain amount of uh, uh, thinking and balances. It's very important. So we don't need to be extremely sterile on one hand. We don't need to be, you know, living like in, in the past with uh, um, very unevolved conditions. So that's something that we need to find a balance. And I think that eventually we've seen uh, that people that are balanced have a better life. So never to be on the extreme of anything. Amen. I, I agree with that 100% in every domain. Um, so I wanted to kind of close off with what are some practical steps that people can take to apply everything that we're learning today in their own lives? And I wanted to ask if, if you think maybe the field of personalized nutrition might be the most applicable right now. 
for people? So I think it could be. I think that, uh, you know, one thing is, is obviously that uh, the nutrition is important for our well-being in general. So you need to have a balanced diet. We've mentioned the balancing. Uh, and, and our microbes like fibers. So if you can consume more fibers, that would be a good thing, I think. Uh, I think that the personalized nutrition in general is something that is much more uh, um, accepted in, in, in various domains because basically this is something that you can control very easily. I think that as the pharma industry will keep on progressing, we'll see more drugs that will be based on microbes and that could basically provide solutions to currently unmet medical needs. And hopefully, you know, we are talking about cancer and other immune diseases, but we are uh, familiar with some groups that are working on uh, some conditions like celiac that is not mm-hmm. a pure kind of disease, but it's a condition that many people are suffering from. And again, we believe that the microbiome could maybe uh, propose a solution to some extent to you know, celiac patients or celiac, pe- celiac uh, uh, that people suffer from celiac. Uh, and I think that uh, as we will recognize the fact that we have an entire organ that is based on cells that are not ours, and we would not, we will not learn how to uh, deal with this uh, new kind of uh, neighbors that we have in our mm-hmm. body, that's something that will help us in, in the future. I think that, um, you know, I mentioned that there is more genetic material of microbes in our body. Basically, someone told me once that we are not humans with bugs, we are bugs with humans. So mm-hmm. that's something that we should take into consideration in the future and to try to maintain our well-being in general to taking into consideration all of those elements again. Yeah, it's a real paradigm shift. I mean, it's a completely different framework of looking at how how our bodies operate, how all of the different systems within us interact. And it's this research is really exciting, what you guys are doing. So my last question I like to ask, the podcast is called The Bigger Picture. And what that means is basically it's a way of looking at things, right? It's looking at things in a zoomed out way. It's looking at the deeper meaning in things. And I wanted to ask what in your personal life and also in the Biomica story, what is the bigger picture here? What do you hope to accomplish? What kind of impact do you want to have? And and what is driving you? And what is the the motivation behind all of this? So I, th- I think it would be true to say that for many, many re- um, diseases, there is currently a lack of understanding. And for that, we've seen that the modern medicine is, is basically challenging. Uh, and the fact that we could impact many people's lives by getting uh, cutting-edge technologies into biology using computational power and to provide people in need, suffering from cancer to other disease, new hope. And that's something I think that is very, very uh, uh, important. And that's something that basically it's in the basis of Biomica. And I think that once we have the ability to leverage data that is being generated each day by the academia, by other companies and researchers, and to use that data in a different way that will basically push us to address new diseases that currently were extremely complex and and, and unmet. And by that, we could 
change the course of life so to many people and their families. This is something that obviously is a very, very exciting thing for us. And I think that, you know, that's part of the challenge working in the biotech uh, space with the biopharma, that things could take some time, but once you're on the verge uh, of success and you could see the first signals that things are making a lot of sense and you have great science and you have new domains developing, that's the place that you would like to be and you would like to push the barrier higher and to try to impact as many people as you can. So that's what we're trying to do. Incredible. I'm sure you guys will do it. And I'm so excited to see all of the new research and all of the new findings and success stories. So thank you, Imran, for coming to speak with us today. It was fascinating. Thank you, Oni. It was my pleasure and hope to tell you, uh, provide you more news in the future that we have more success stories. For everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in to The Bigger Picture. I hope you found this conversation interesting. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to hit subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. My name is Roni Firon. This is The Bigger Picture. And thank you for listening. Until next time.